modern medicine now, it's called value-based healthcare, and they want more bang for their buck. So really the goal in medicine, as, as the insurance companies lay it out there, is to have the sickest patients on paper that you can possibly get. And so they get upset with me, and they'll say, Dr. Littell, your patients can't really be that healthy. You need to find some diagnoses. These are the best steaks I've ever had. They're from Riverbend Ranch. Find out how you can purchase these steaks and cook them at home. With the rising prices of meat, this is one of the best places to go. They're better than grass-fed to grass-finished. They have no growth hormones, no antibiotics, and no mRNA vaccines. Join me on October 10th at 8 central p.m. Click the link below or go to joinmyproject.com. That's joinmyproject.com. J-O-I-N-M-Y. P-R-O-J-E-C-T dot com. Join myproject.com. Welcome to After Hours with Dr. Sigaloff. On this podcast, you will be encouraged to question everything and to have the courage to stand for the truth. And now, to your host, Dr. Sigaloff. Thank you for joining me again. I want to thank all my Patreon supporters. I, we have a $20.20 a month anonymous family donor. We have the Plandemic Reprimando level at, at $17.76 with Ty, Charles, Tinfoil, Stanley, Dr. Anna, and Frank, Brian, Shell, and Megan. We have a $10 level with Kevin and Pat and Bev. We have the Refine Not Burn level at $5 a month with Linda, Emmy, Joe, PJ, Rebecca, Marcus, Elizabeth, Dawn, Jennifer, Ken, Rick, and Mary. Addison Mulder has started his own $3 level, and we have Frank giving $1.50 a month. And then we have the Courage is Contagious at $1 a month with Amanda, Jay, Spessnasty, Darrell, Susan, BB King, and Caleb. Thank you so much for all the support you've given me. It truly is helpful. Now that I'm out of the Army and I'm in between jobs, this is very helpful, and I truly appreciate it. Today, I have a very special guest. I have Dr. Littell. He is a family medicine physician in Florida, and his, the American Academy of Family Physicians came after him and said, we're going to take your board certification away. And he has good news to give us today. Dr. Littell, how are you doing? Hey, Dr. Sam, good to talk to you. I'm doing well. I just finished a very chaotic morning in the office, and so I'm glad it's a Friday. So that's good. And I'm feeling strong. We've got good news, as you, you mentioned. I think a lot of folks might have seen Epic Times came out with a nice piece, and then it went all over from there, but about how the American Board of Family Medicine which is the entity that allows us to practice in our specialty fields, in, our case, in my case, family medicine, had come to the conclusion that my misbehavior as uh, someone who was opposed to the universal vaccination against COVID injections and other issues, that my misbehavior would cause me to be decertified for a three-month period. And then I guess they decided that, that was sufficient punishment and they said, okay, you can be a family doctor once again with all the privileges thereof. So that's where I sit right now until probably until the next time I open my mouth, I get the summit in November and then they'll say, hey, didn't you learn your lesson the first time? Anyway. 
Yeah, and it'll probably come after both of us once this episode comes out. I'm surprised they haven't come after me yet. I've had Texas come after me. They've dropped the investigation. Thank the good Lord. Uh, I'm waiting for an Arizona license at this point. By the time this airs, I should have an Arizona license. So can you get into the details of what exactly they said that you said was inappropriate? Yeah, it's a 10-page letter of, and, and, I, and they did actually three different investigations. I've got all totaled about 25 pages, but they tended to rehash the same things. They, First of all, they did not like that I ever referred to the Pfizer, Moderna, J&J vaccines as products of genetic engineering. Um, now, it's interesting because they don't, I, I don't know what the, why they have a beef about that. What, why do they care that I'm saying they're products of genetic engineering? Is that we had to do a lot of things. We have our insulins are products of genetic engineering. Recombinant DNA, uh, most of our biologic agents are because of what we've done with, with genetic engineering. The, the treatments for rheumatoid arthritis, the treatments now for diabetes, a lot of these medications. But I brought it up mostly from, from the perspective that as products of genetic engineering, manipulating the mRNA initially, of course, that's what these are made out of, messenger RNA strands that are being injected into the, us and then get incorporated into our nuclei. And then we have the uh, production of the spike proteins eventually through the ribosomes in the cells. But I was pointing out from the perspective of that, that this should not be allowed to take place without an incredible amount of research into the safety long-term effects of these injections. So they, they would say, no, these are not products of genetic engineering, and therefore I'm a misinformer. Number two, I mentioned that they would do harm to children. And they did not like that I said that, and they said I'm a misinformer. They say they're perfectly safe in children, despite all the facts out there, despite the fact that Europe, most European, if not all European nations, uh, have said do not use in children, except America stands alone at putting our children's health and being in the back seat into Chiva's secondary agenda of universal COVID vaccination. And the third thing that they really talked them off was, and they said, this is where I was the most unprofessional. So you have being a misinformer and they have being unprofessional. So I'm unprofessional because I had the audacity to compare the American medical system as it now stands to, to Nazi Germany. To the, and and I, I used the reference that the idea that positions in Nazi Germany were forced to march lockstep with the policies, we indeed have been told to do the same. And and it's really, you're laughing and it's humorous that they would say, no, we are not Nazi Germany. We are not like Nazi Germany. You are now punished for not being lockstep with us. It's exactly <laughs> I mean, what so it is. They really proved my point. It's precisely. It's exactly what it is. You don't have the opportunity in medicine to differ with the narrative anymore like the good old days where we could actually have a conversation about at journal club and discuss the pros and cons of a new drug or a vaccine or whatever it's yeah it's pretty rough it's pre precisely what it is and the military because i've just got out of the military recently is even worse because we actually wearing a uniform that and they're using their military authority to silence doctors it's it's insane how dark this country has gone yeah, interesting timing of this call, because I just had this conversation with a patient this morning about the military. This guy was former Army as well, then went to go work for the National Security Administration in cybersecurity and had to leave his job because of the vaccine mandates. You're familiar with that scenario. And he's got a wife and little kids. But I told him he was, he was giving me all this 
these attaboys and, and, and all this recognition for the work that I've done, I said, I'm not always proud of how I was because clearly I had, I'm had i on a journey. I was an Army doctor as well. I was director of soldier care in, at Fort Gordon during Desert Storm, and I oversaw a lot of the vaccination programs. We truly, and you know how this was, we wouldn't even think to question the protocols as physicians. I knew I was a pro-life doctor, and thank God in that military back in the 90s, we weren't allowing for abortions, and then things have changed since then. But there were still some things that I was doing as a doctor that I'm not proud of today, and certainly lining up the troops and doing the shots in the arms multiple times, not even, and even knowing that they'd been recently, that they'd previously been vaxxed against a particular illness, we'd say, oh, forget that, we're going to give you the same vaccines all over again, a whole new battery of vaccines. So no questioning on my part at that time in my career, very early, obviously, right out of residency, but but that's what we're dealing with in medicine across the spectrum right now is people not questioning the protocols. And and I wouldn't feel bad about that because I was the same way too. I was, I've personally said, if you can't find the record, I'll just take another shot because I'll never find the record. This is when I was in med school. Nowadays, I'll be like, no, and you'll never get a needle near me again. <laughs> Good luck trying. Right. That's how I am these days. That's right. Yep. This is all what's happening now. This is why we've got to change that. And I see hope with the medical students that are, I'm still able to teach, thankfully, because my board certification was reinstated. So, you know, had they decided to permanently decertify me, I would have not been able to be on the faculty of medical schools. And I've been teaching medical students for years since I got out. So while I was in the Army, we were teaching medical students. I was in a faculty member at the residency program at Fort Gordon, Georgia, in, in Augusta. So I love teaching. I was a teacher before I became a doctor. And to not be able to impart whatever I've learned to future physicians would have been, for me, really troubling. And I think particularly in the light of what's happening in the world, very troubling for our profession, because these young students really like seeing a doctor who's not owned by the hospital, who's not owned by a greater entity and doesn't have the freedom to say what he or she wants to say about a particular situation in medicine. So yeah, the medical students that I'm seeing, they're open to being critical thinkers. It's just that the odds are stacked against them because I'm just one doctor and the majority of doctors in today's world seem to have powered or they're just too lazy to, to even try to think outside of the protocols. And that was a question I've been wanting to ask you is, why can't we just throw off the shackles of the American Board of Family Physicians? And I guess you, you partially answered that already. If you want to continue to stay on faculty staff, which I think that's very commendable to be able to, to be maybe the only other voice that these young doctors, student doctors ever see. I enjoy teaching student doctors and residents, but if I lose my board certification, I, I don't know. If I never have to pay them again, that, that's actually a benefit in my book because they stand up for things that, like the American Academy of Family Physicians, they stand up for a lot of things that I don't agree with. Their stance on guns, their stance on abortion, their stance on gender, and the list goes on and on. I, you're mentioning two entities there, and I, dis, I disenrolled from the American Academy of Family Physicians some time ago. I was involved at a very high level for quite some time. I actually, my couple of doctors and I used to write for the Journal of Family Medicine, the American Family Physician, for years. We had a, a feature there every month called Diary from a Week in Family Medicine, and it was a tremendous honor to be able to write that along with Dr. Walt Larimore, Dr. John Hartman, and these were big names. These were the best-known doctors in the field of family medicine back in the 80s. 
and the 90s, and I was fortunate to join their practice. And I was really involved with the American Academy of Family Physicians, which is like the certifying body, our academy. That's our, who we get together with for our continuing education, et cetera, et cetera. The American Board is a separate entity that just is in charge of making sure that we keep up on our CME, continuing education, and that recognizes us as being specialists. So it's two different entities, and you're right. They're both incredibly woke, incredibly off the rails, but and there are plenty of people out there who are no longer board certified because they don't want to give their money to the American Board of Family Medicine, which is a very unscrupulous and a very wealthy organization, I might add. They have all these specialty board organizations have millions and millions of dollars. They're, they've got us over a barrel because not only do I not teach medical students, they also are in cahoots with the hospitals who insist that you be board certified. And even though there's other specialty boards out there that have come up in recent years, I think two that I can think of, 90% of the hospitals don't recognize them as legit. They're going to stay with the ones that have been around really since the 70s. All of these entities arose in the 70s. Before the 70s, you had general practitioners and you had general surgeons, and then you had maybe a few other specialties. But since the 60s, we've seen this explosion of the specialty boards. And They've gone out of control. They're tyrannical. They're wealthy, as I said, and they're and they are telling us you know, who who we can take care of and how we can take care of them. They've come between us and our patients. And I believe one of the boards that you alluded to just now—that's not woke. That's not the American Academy of Family Physicians, or I'm sorry, uh, National American Board of Family Physicians—is the National Board of Physicians and Surgeons. And I also have a board certification through there. But they're not recognized, as you said. And so the problem is you try to go to these other boards, but like when I was in the Army, if I only had the board certification through National Board of Physicians and Surgeons, they wouldn't pay me my specialty pay. Absolutely. You're not recognized. And you're right. The alternative to the AMA, which has also gone off the rails with Obamacare and since then, hardly anyone belongs to the American Medical Association anymore, is the American... Academy of Physicians and Surgeons, AAPS, which is just an amazingly wonderful group of doctors, and that's actually older than the American Medical Associations. But again, people don't, and they do their own projects, but they don't, they're not a board specialized. They're not going to give you your board certification. So we, do, we are in a world of hurt in medicine, trying to figure out how to get all this figured out when you have the hospitals, the insurance companies, and the medical schools, right? Those are big, three big things, not to mention the federal government probably, but they're all working together to silence physicians who dare to speak contrary to the narrative. And so that said, the majority, I think, of the public has woken up to this. They're figuring this out and they're looking for doctors who think independently. And that's where I get really concerned because some of the doctors who, who are independent thinkers, let's say, there's some that you can trust and some you can't as well. But you really have to be careful to make sure you have a doctor who's, at the end of the day, competent. If you don't have a competent doctor, if you have a lazy, there's lazy doctors out there that are going to some fields, let's say, throw one out called functional medicine. There's some amazing people in this world of functional medicine. I get it. Personally, I don't think the term should ever have come up. I think what they're basically doing is taking Hippocratic traditional medicine the way it was taught and supposedly doing the right job. They say that they're going below the surface more than regular doctors. I would argue, no, we, we're supposed to go below the surface. We're supposed to look at the psychosocial aspects of disease. 
the role of the family in disease, the role of the mental health challenges in any disease, which is huge right now, right? It's most of what I deal with are mental health challenges, the, the spiritual well-being of the patient. This is going beneath the surface. This is traditional medicine. This is what I grew up with my doctor who was my mentor as a child. And then, so it's not, I, the concept of functional medicine seems amazing. I think it's just regular, good, old-fashioned medicine, first do no harm. But what happens is a lot of these folks are doing the same thing that traditional medicine is guilty of now. They're over-testing. They have batteries of tests. They give people all kinds of diagnoses and tell them they need to get all kinds of supplements that they sell from the right now, pull it off the shelf and give it to the patient for 100 bucks. So they're basically perpetuate the same problems that what my beloved medical profession is, has done is really making creating sickness, profiting off of sickness. And ultimately, at the end of the day, the best doctors are the ones, as I see it, who can keep people out of their office. And, and allow people not to spend a lot of money on being well, because it shouldn't cost a lot of money to be well. I, I agree, and, and I, I agree with you that as a good doctor, I should see my patients less and less until I see them none at all. The unfortunate part is it's hard to, to keep in business, but with the way that the medical community is going, there's plenty of new patients that need to be seen to get on this level of new health to where they can actually control their own health and do the proper things, eat the proper diet, have the proper lifestyle, change their habits and their family structure to where it's more healthy for them and for their family. That was when I became a, got into DO, Doctor of Osteopathy Medical School, I didn't really know the difference, but it their philosophy is also what you just pointed out, which is what any good doctor should be, getting to the root cause, getting to that under level, underlying surface level to to give healing, not just, and to find health, not just treat the diseased organ. Newt, I was way back, believe it or not, I, 1977, I, I started the uh, Holistic Healthcare Study Group at Cornell University. So I was very much, I, I got very involved in that field. And when I, by the time I left Cornell and was applying to medical schools, I wanted to be a DO because I'd read about Dr. Still and his approach, body, mind, spirit. Interestingly enough, I got into a DO school, but then I got, by really crazy set of circumstances, I got accepted to George Washington School of Medicine. And that was what God intended for me to do, to go there. It was extremely expensive compared to the DO school, so I had no real alternative but to sign up with the military. You probably might have taken that same route where they give you the scholarship. Had it not been for my military service, I wouldn't have met my wife, and I wouldn't have had a lot of other uh, amazing opportunities for learning. So God works in strange and mysterious ways. But yet the DO mentality, the holistic mentality, has stayed with me, obviously, for this entire time. And it's what really leads me to be such a critic of medicine. I wrote a book called The Hidden Truth, Deception in Women's Healthcare, and I talk in there about how doctors have become very robotic in their practice of women's health care. And I, there's a lot of very, just really insightful information in there that people should look at as they're raising their own daughters or they, even men who's taking care of, to know about their own wives and what their wives are going through, but, and women throughout the entire spectrum. And then of course COVID hits and the same thing there, we start to see doctors who are just robotic in their behavior. So I'm, the holistic perspective Let's be very careful when you see doctors who put that shingle up and say, I'm a holistic doctor, because for very many of them, and they'll use other titles, as I said, integrative, functional, alternative, 
for a great many of them, it's they're doing a whole lot of testing, and they call that holistic. They're ordering 20 pages of blood work and saliva testing and all kind of heavy metal testing and toxicology screens and this and that. And I just don't see that's necessary. I think if you have people in front of you, spend time getting to know where they've been, where what has their life been like? What was it like growing up in their home? And as you find out more about what it was like growing up in their homes, and you see how many people are suffering because they've never had a father in their life, or their mother was an alcoholic, or they were abused as a child in whichever way you can imagine, or they were married to an abusive husband, or we go on and on. And it's almost, it seems some days like it's everybody that I see. But And then I have to sit down and explain to people that what you're really suffering from is the cumulative toll of all this emotional, physical, psychological abuse. And that you've kept it together until just this whatever period of time their symptoms have erupted. And a great deal of them, a lot of them are being told they have long haul COVID or they're being put on detox formulas and they're not really dealing with that. They're dealing with post-traumatic stress disorder. So to me, that's going beneath the surface. And it's a very, it takes a, you don't have any five minute visits with those kind of individuals. And that's a lot of people. So we just take our time. And we pray for more doctors to be able to take their time with patients uh, because that seems to be a very precious commodity in medicine these days is time. Yeah, it seems like what has really pushed the doctor so hard is having to hit the metrics for insurance companies to be able to keep the doors open, understandably. But they get in, they don't listen to the patient. They tell the patient what's wrong with them, which that's not how this works. The patient has to tell me what's wrong with them, and they'll tell me if I listen long enough and ask the right questions and then allow them to come up with the answer. You're, you're so right, Sam. That was, see, one of the benefits in the military when I was in the military as a doctor was you didn't have this insurance company being so intrusive into the relationship. You had other factors, of course, but the insurance companies were not, a, were, at that time, they were not a factor. But, and I'll be talking about this in many different ways at the, the summit on COVID in November here in Ocala, but I, I, modern medicine now, it's called value-based healthcare. And they want more bang for their buck. So really the goal in medicine, as, as the insurance companies lay it out there, is to have the sickest patients on paper that you can possibly get. And so they get upset with me. And they'll say, Dr. Littell, your patients can't really be that healthy. You need to find some diagnoses for them. And why this is important to them and ultimately to doctors out there is if I can have a patient and give him 12 diagnoses, and at the end of the year, that patient hasn't been admitted to the hospital where well, the insurance company will give me a pat on the back and say, you've done a great job of keeping Mr. Smith out of the hospital despite his 12 diagnoses. So you create things, you, you create all these terms for them. And I won't get into all the detail about that. And then, at, but as opposed to someone who has no diagnoses, they're, they're just living wonderfully well and they're staying out of the hospital. The insurance company says, you didn't do any work for him. You, we don't need to pay you as much. What did you do for Mr. Smith? Never mind the fact that I got him to quit smoking. I got him to lose 30 pounds. I got him to get his blood pressure down. As a result, I got him to get his diabetes resolved. So he's no longer diabetic. He no longer has kidney disease. No longer has hypertension. No longer has X, Y, Z. Now he's healthy. And now the insurance company says, that can't be. No, you don't get paid as well because your patients are too healthy and you don't have to do any work. Uh, that's a sickness in itself, isn't it? Well, it's interesting you mentioned that because one of my clinical investigations they did into me, when they were looking at my charts, they said, oh, you didn't give this lady blood pressure medications. Yeah, because we changed her diet and she didn't need them anymore. 
she was no longer hypertensive. Yeah. Why would I keep the, giving her more you, when if, she doesn't need it? I, if you leave that diagnosis in there, and I'm, every patient I'm taking off diagnoses, it seems, if you leave a diagnosis of hyperlipidemia in the chart, and the, 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 the high school graduate of the insurance company says, oh, look, Dr. Littell's patient has hyperlipidemia, and they're not on medicine, and the same thing with hypertension. So that the trick is to get rid of those diagnoses because some high school graduate clerk is going to tell us we're doing a crappy job of our taking care of our patients. But again, you get rid of those diagnoses and you're back where I just talked about. You're with healthy patients. It's a it's a vicious circle and people say, doctors, oh, yep, you should get out of insurance because they're evil. I agree they're evil doing this. I totally agree. I'm not getting out of insurance. I'm playing the game until Frankly, until Donald Trump gets reelected and healthcare changes in this country, that's what I'm going to tell you right now. Because had he gotten his way, and if Senator McCain had not done thumbs down, I was actually going to be in the White House with five other doctors from all over the country. I had security clearance. I was going to be one of those docs in there. I had spent all my own dollar. I had been to D.C. at least 10 times to help craft the alternative to Obamacare that would have been patient care centered, primary care driven and it would have been perfect. It was such a good plan. A lot of congressmen had bought off and senators were ready to sign off on it, except one guy out of Arizona, McCain, who didn't like Donald Trump, as you may recall. So that's really what's got to happen. We need healthcare reform that goes back to preserving the patient-physician relationship. And that's my passion, has always been my passion. I'm sure it was yours as well. And and we got to get the insurance industry out of the exam room and the federal government and God knows whoever else is in there with us. But listen, I've had people knocking on my door here trying to get my attention. Of, I must have patients that showed up unexpectedly, even though it's supposed to be only a half day on Friday. So I'm going to yeah, have to wrap you, it up pretty soon. Thank you, sir. I, I want to be respectful of your time. I know you didn't have much time today, and I greatly appreciate you coming on. I pray, and I hope my audience will pray, that no matter who gets elected next, they still look to that same team and can get you in there to help get the insurance companies out of the exam room. That's a great prayer. Yeah, no matter who's elected next, we know what party it's going to probably have to come from. But but I, I'm pretty confident we can get a solution. So as long as I have any fight in me, I'm going to be fighting for my patients. And I know you did as well. So thank you for your service. And great to know you better today, Sam. And God bless you. God bless you. And thank you for your service as well. Just a reminder for everyone out there, duty uniform of the day the full armor of God. Let's all make courage more contagious than fear.